you will go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and go with us to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 1 to 10, and I'd like to go ahead and begin by reading the portion of Scripture before us, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. These are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out to find pasture. The thief only the, the thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think it's significant that we're in John 10 this morning. You need to know that I don't plan my preaching in advance. I don't know what I'm going to be preaching six weeks from now. I, I don't even think, I don't even know if I'll be preaching six weeks from now. At least not necessarily in this pulpit. But we're in John chapter 10, and God has providentially led us to this portion of Scripture on this particular Sunday. And to be sure, John 10 is about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. But it, it's also an indictment on the false shepherds of Israel. As we work through this, you're going to see that Jesus is exposing the religious leaders of Israel as false shepherds and indicting them as thieves and robbers. And in that sense, this portion of Scripture is intensely practical in depicting the essence of a true and faithful shepherd. In fact, I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and following. Peter says this, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And here's the promise. And when the chief shepherd appears, receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And
and his under-shepherds are to shepherd after his example. You know, as we wrap with this, this book of Jesus, Easter Sunday, and even simply as I bring in John chapter 10, could you imagine me preaching John 10 to an empty auditorium? shepherds and the good shepherd and the essence of true shepherding in some measure we have an empty auditorium the Lord has led us to this book in scripture on this Sunday and providentially so for who we are now it's critical to see the relationship between chapters 9 and 10. Jesus heals a man born blind on the Sabbath. The man is brought to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees launch an interrogation. Only they aren't concerned with the truth. Their aim is to discredit the miracle and validate their presupposition that Jesus is a sinner and not from God. And when all efforts fail, they write the man off and harshly excommunicate him. They put him out of the synagogue epitomizing the false shepherds of Israel. Jesus, the good shepherd, hears that they put him out, and he finds him, and he asks him, do you believe in the name, or rather, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with me. And the man answers, Lord, I believe. At which point Jesus declares, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. A stunning reversal. Jesus gives sight to the outcast and exposes the blindness of the religious leaders. And there were some Pharisees there who overheard this. And they said to Jesus, we are not blind too, are we? And they said to Jesus, or rather, and Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. That's the backdrop of John chapter 10. And that these Pharisees are in the audience of this discourse is evident. For example, look at verse 6 of John 10 says there, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Who do them and they refer to? The Pharisees addressed at the end of John 9, and that the Pharisees remain major players in the audience of this discourse is also seen in verses 19 and following where it says a division occurred among the Jews because of these words, where the Jews is a a typical way of John referring to the Pharisees. Verse 20, many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Bringing even the healing miracle of the man born blind to the forefront. And things get confrontational in verse 24, where it says, The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the 
Christ tell us plainly? And from there, the confrontation escalates to the point where these Pharisees want to take stones again and stone Jesus, verse 31, and then by the end of it, are seeking to seize him, though he eludes their grasp. And so chapters 9 and 10 are inseparable. They go hand in hand. And so chapter 9 just epitomizes the, the false shepherds of Israel and provides a backdrop for Jesus to declare himself the good shepherd. So let's get into this. I'm going to give you two headings today. If you're taking notes, the first is the analogy. The analogy. And just a, a quick word about this. Jesus is going to speak in what is called a figure of speech. It's not really a parable. It's, it's an analogy. There's some metaphor at work here, to be sure. But the goal here is to, to not spiritualize every detail and try and make a connection between every detail in the analogy and our spiritual reality, the, the key here, like with the parable, is to get the main point, to nail the main point of what Jesus is saying, and then go from there as far as its application is concerned. And so we're going to have to resist trying to make all kinds of connections spiritually to what Jesus says here while acknowledging what is divinely intended. So you're going to see the analogy in verses 1 to 5. Look at verse 1. It says there, Truly, truly, I say to you. I want you to stop there for a moment. We know this introduces a solemn attestation to the truth, that it adds emphasis and, and weightiness. And in context, given what Jesus has just said, we would expect this to introduce what? A strong indictment comes on the heels of the severe treatment of a true sheep, and this at the hands of the supposed shepherd. And an indictment is exactly what we find. Look at verse 1 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now the imagery here is of a sheepfold. A sheepfold typically consisted of a, a walled enclosure without a roof in the open field. And there was only one door into the fold. A door that, as we'll see in a moment, was guarded by a doorkeeper. And his job was to guard the sheep throughout the night because the danger was that during the night, thieves and robbers would come. And since the doorkeeper wouldn't open the door for them, they had to climb up some other way to get access to the sheep. And the implication here is that the Pharisees and religious leaders of Israel were thieves and robbers. And there's overlap in these terms. And yet there's also some nuance. The idea of a thief depicts a, a crafty and, and covert manner in which entry enters or gain into the sheepfold. And so there's that component in the word thief. But the robber really depicts violence. And so these false shepherds are being indicted as thieves and robbers in that they are craftily and covertly seeking access to the sheep and even doing them violence and harm. Both of which indicate two realities about these false shepherds. One, they were entirely motivated by 
salvation. And two, they lack any genuine concern for the sheep. Two realities exemplified in the previous text. And so Jesus likens the religious leaders of Israel to thieves and robbers, men after their own heart who sought their own personal gain and did so at the expense of the sheep. But for Jesus, there were those who cleaned the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they were full of robbery and self-indulgence, Matthew 22, 25. In fact, just a few verses later, Jesus says, For you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, verse 28. Even their outward righteousness was unrighteousness. They would shut people off from the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 22, 13, they, they made their disciples twice as much sons of hell as they were. Matthew 23, 15, and they would devour widows' homes. self-interest, full of the desire for sordid gain, doing violence and harm to the flock. And this wasn't just a problem in the Lord's day. It was a problem throughout Israel's history. If I turn to Ezekiel 34 for a minute, Ezekiel 34, we're going to look at an extended indictment that the prophet Ezekiel proclaimed as the direction of God upon the shepherds of Israel. And this really sums up even the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. Look at Ezekiel 34 and verse 2. It says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you stopped for the lost. For with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field, and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely, because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather, the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. Now will demand my sheep from them, and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth, so that they will not be food for them. indictment historically on the shepherds of Israel. And it's really consistent with the, the tenor of what Jesus is saying in verse 1 of chapter 10 in John. And we're going to flip back to Ezekiel 34 later in our time. 
for now, look at verse 2 of John 10. In contrast. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Now, the New American Standard might be the only translation that renders this a shepherd of the sheep. Most translations render it the shepherd of the sheep. And though there's no the in the Greek, I think the context demands it because, as we'll see, this shepherd has an intensely intimate and personal relationship with his sheep where he knows them and they know him. But it's important to note as well that in this imagery, it's possible in a, a given sheepfold that you would have multiple flocks with multiple shepherds. And a, a shepherd of one of the flocks in that fold would come to the fold and he would beckon his sheep and that flock within that fold would, would separate from the others and come out and follow him. And so it could be that that idea is, is behind this imagery as well, which could be why the New American Standard went with a shepherd of the sheep. But the main point here is that the true shepherd has authorization to enter by the door. He has legitimate access. He isn't a thief or a robber and genuinely cares for the well-being of the sheep. Verse 3. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. relationship between the shepherd and his sheep, the sheep hear his voice, which points to at least two realities. One, they recognize the voice of their shepherd. That's how they recognize their shepherd. They hear his voice, and it's by his voice they know that's their shepherd. And two, they respond to his voice in obedience. They trust the voice of their shepherd, and they follow him. And the shepherd calls his own by name. This speaks to a particular knowledge of them. He has named them. He can recognize them by the distinct individual qualities and characteristics. Some say that there are examples of, of shepherds who have been blindfolded and are able to identify who his sheep are and which ones they are and name them by name even when he can't see them. All of this speaks to a unique relationship between the shepherd and and his sheep. And it's on account of this that, it, that, that he leads them out, it says. Because they know him and he knows them and is genuinely concerned for their well-being, he leads them out and they follow him. So where does the shepherd lead his sheep? It's a green pasture. Obedience. They trust him. They know he's leading them for their good. He arrives early in the morning to receive his flock. The doorkeeper opens up to him and he calls his sheep and they come to him and he leads them to their morning feeding. And while all of this speaks to the personal relationship between a, a shepherd and his sheep, Jesus is going to apply this to what? Spiritual realities, the effectual call, eternal life. Look at verse 16, you see the effectual call expressed there. He says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. And there he's, he's talking about how he intends to bring in the Gentiles as well. He says, I must bring them also. 
and hear the effectual call, and they will hear my voice. That's the effectual call unto life, and they will become one flock with one shepherd, a, a divine summons to new life in Christ. And even in verse 3 there, the word calls, where Jesus says, and he calls his own sheep by name, means to call or summons to oneself. Also alluding to the effectual call. And we see this idea of eternal life in verse 27 and following, where it says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And so Jesus, with this figure of speech, this word picture, this analogy, he is setting the table for glorious realities that are tied to and inseparable from our, our spiritual, our, our salvation. Verse 4 says, then when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And there's something intriguing here for the verb puts forth. That verb puts forth is the same word used in John 9.33, where it says, so they put him out. The same word used to describe the Pharisees excommunicating the true sheep is applied here to the flock of the good shepherd as he puts forth his own. And there's obviously some nuance in terms of the way each word is being used in context, but I think the point is this, that whereas the false shepherds of Israel do harm and cast out the sheep, Jesus puts them forth and leads them for their good. It's another contrast and allusion to the good shepherd in comparison with the thieves and robbers among the religious leaders of Israel. And not only does the, the shepherd put forth his own, he goes ahead of them, he, he leads them from out in front of them, which obviously signals that he, he loves them, that they trust him, that he's the protector of them. And the sheep follow him simply because they hear his voice. And it's by his voice that they follow. He, he simply speaks to them and, 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 and makes sound to them and gives direction to them. And the flock follows him. Verse 5, the stranger they simply will not follow. But will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Where it says there, a stranger they simply will not follow is another example of what we've seen as emphatic negation. It is the strongest way to negate something in the Greek. It rules out even the possibility. There is no way a, a, a sheep will follow a stranger. They say that you can, you can, you can dress a shepherd like the shepherd of a sheep, a sheep and even get him to imitate the sound of the shepherd's voice, and the sheep will not follow. And I'm that guy, of course, that, you know, put me into the sheep, and I'm going to try and get them to follow me. Try and woo them and endear them to me. They're not coming. They will not follow anyone but their shepherd. They know the voice of their shepherd. And when 
Jesus amplifies the analogy of this scene in verses 7 and following. He's going to apply this to the Jewish synagogue. Verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but he did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. You say, what's a figure of speech? It means a veiled saying. We'll see the same word in John 15, verse 25. Look at that. This is in the upper room as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And in verse 25 of John 15, it says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. Same word. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in a figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. And the word plainly means to use speech that conceals nothing. And so the point here in John 10 is that Jesus has been speaking in a manner that conceals his meaning. And they can't understand what he's saying. to apply this imagery from the natural realm to the spiritual realm. And I want to ask you, what do you think came first? The physical reality or the spiritual reality? In other words, did God create the natural realm and then find realities analogous to the spiritual realm? Or did God create the natural realm with the spiritual realm in mind? shepherd sheep relationship only analogous to our relationship with Christ in hindsight? Or did God foreordain the natural reality to reflect the spiritual reality? Such that the spiritual reality actually existed first, as it were. Now, someone could say, well, James, there isn't a universal way to shepherd sheep. Back here in the Western world, we don't shepherd sheep the way they did in the Middle East. Well, that's fair, so let's take the marriage union. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us that the union between a man and a woman pictures the union between Christ and his church. So what came first? The union between Christ and his church or the union between a husband and his wife? In other words, did God make the spiritual reality conform to the natural reality or the other way around? Well, I submit to you it was the other way around. Jesus is not, in his earthly ministry, at times, merely using natural realm illustrations that are convenient and readily available apart from any sort of divine intent or any sort of foreordained purpose. No, the, the, the natural realm oftentimes reflects the spiritual realm so that the natural realm is not just there as a convenient illustration, but that the, the illustration is built in by way of divine intent. And we'll see it in John 15, for example, in the vine. Jesus will say he's the true vine. And we're going to see realities about a vine that, that, that tie right into the spiritual realm. So did did that come after the fact where the spiritual got applied to the vine after the fact or did God intend the vine to reflect spiritual
spiritual realities that he had foreordained before the foundation of the world. But yet I submit to you that spiritual realms take precedent over the natural. Now in verses 7 and following, Jesus expands the analogy. And in the expansion, you're going to notice some differences. It's not simply an explanation of the first five verses. It's uh, an expansion. Jesus will actually change some of the details in these verses. And so having seen the analogy, if you take a note, jot down second, the amplification. The amplification. Verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is the third I am statement of John's gospel. The first was our Lord's declaration that I am the bread of life, John 6.35. The second was I am the light of the world, John 8.12. And here Jesus declares I am the door of the sheep. Which is to say he is the only one or the only legitimate access to the sheep. legitimate access to the sheep is through the door, and Jesus is the door. And given the statement in verse 8, the emphasis here is on the shepherds. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. So the idea is that Jesus is the door to the sheep. That true shepherds access the sheep by him, and this too indicts the religious leaders of Israel since they claim to be the shepherds and yet refuse to enter through the door. And so they are thieves and robbers, which again highlights their self-interest as well as their lack of genuine concern for the sheep. And that Jesus says, all, all who came before me are thieves and robbers can't apply to the prophets. Or Moses, for that, for example. In fact, it seems best to limit this statement to the historical context of that day because Jesus even uses the present tense, are thieves and robbers. When Jesus says, all who came before me, he's indicting the, the religious leaders of Israel before him. They are thieves and robbers. Illegitimate shepherds. Self-appointed and under the condemnation of God. True shepherds must enter through the door to gain access to the sheep. Entering any other way proves one is a false shepherd. And notice the second half of verse 8, that the sheep did not hear them. So all who came before me, Jesus says, are thieves and robbers, but the, the sheep did not hear them. The, the sheep that belong to the fold of the good shepherd don't respond to thieves and robbers, which not only indicts the false shepherds, but also all who follow them. Think of the man's parents. They were unwilling to even involve themselves in the, the interrogation. They said, this is our son, and we can tell you that he's been, been blind from birth, and how he now sees, we do not know. The neighbors brought the man to, to the Pharisees and, and yet showed no sign of, of acknowledging Jesus.
follow the Pharisees rejected Christ. They were hearing and heeding the wrong thing. And then Jesus amplifies the analogy further, restating the I am statement of verse 7 with a different emphasis. Look at verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. So now, Jesus isn't just the door to the sheep. He is the door for the sheep. In other words, the sheep must go through Christ. They must enter through the door, and the door is Christ. And those who enter through the door will be saved. You say, saved from what? Saved from the wrath to come. Saved from the judgment of God. There is a coming judgment where judgment will be will be rendered on account of a person's sins. Jesus has already said, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. Those who enter through the door, that is through Christ, will be saved from that wrath, which means that God the Father has commissioned his Son to propitiate the wrath of his people, his sheep. God the Father says to his Son, I have sheep for you to die for, and I am commissioning you to die for them so that I can save them from my wrath. The Father is the initiator in sending His Son to save the sheep. And the language there will go in and out and find pastures. That's amazing Old Covenant language. It's very covenantal. And I want you to see some of this. Just turn to Turn to Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to show you a few verses that just use this language. In Deuteronomy 28 and verse 6, this is in the blessings of the, the Old Covenant, that if Israel would obey the Word of God, the Old Covenant law, there would be blessings that come with it. And in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 6, Here's the blessing. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And we'll go in and out and find pastures. Look at Psalm 23. Familiar psalm, obviously. Psalm that dovetails wonderfully with John chapter 10. The Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. Or Psalm 95 and verse 7. Actually, go back to verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. and belong to those who are in the covenant, only as we'll see, the covenant being referred to in John 10 is the new covenant. Look at Psalm 121 and 
full of self-interest and as treating the sheep severely and they're negligent and the sheep are at harm unprotected. Look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. Well, how is he going to do that? How is God going to fulfill this shepherding of his people? Look at verse 23, then I will set over them one shepherd. Who? My servant David. David's dead by the time Ezekiel 34 is written. So who is this referring to? The son of David, the promised Messiah. And he will feed them. And he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. What's amazing about that is that in the imagery of a shepherd is a, a kingly idea that, that, that built into the, the notion of shepherd is this idea of kingship. Verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them. What's that? The new covenant. And eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they, will, they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Get down to verse 30. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, as for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. When Jesus declares himself to be the door, when he declares himself, as we'll see in verse 11, to be the good shepherd, he is claiming to be the Christ, the son of David, the one promised in Ezekiel 34. And the Pharisees' ears are closed. Look with me now in verse 11 and following of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What's that? Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross to lay down his life for the sheep, atoning for the sins of his people, going to the cross, suffering under the full wrath of God for the sin of all who would ever believe on his name, swallowing up that wrath, dying and rising from the grave. Verse 11 again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves, and the sheep leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I know my own, and my own know me, even 
says, the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And we saw this already, verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and I will become, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus is the door. And his flock, his sheep fold, is the, the realm of salvation and eternal life. And the only way to have salvation and eternal life is to enter through that door, to enter through Jesus. You could even say that he's the narrow gate. And you must enter through the narrow gate to enter the, the narrow path that leads to life. There's a, a broad way and a, a broad road that leads to destruction, but there is a narrow gate, a narrow path that you must enter into. And Jesus is the way into that path. He is the door. He declares in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Just as the man of John 9 was, spiritually blind. And we must hear the voice of the Savior and then enter through the door, who is the Savior, and into the sheepfold to be saved. Which implicates every single one of us that the question that has to be answered at this juncture is Are you in the sheepfold? Have you entered through the door? Have you entered through Christ? Have you, have you entered through Him to have access to the Father? Have you received the abundant life, eternal life? Have you been set free from your sin? Have you had new birth from above? Jesus is the only way to be delivered from your sin, the only way to be, li- to be delivered from judgment and from hell. You must come unto Him and believe on Him, and to believe on Him is to enter through that door.